Let's pray, and we'll begin. Lord, we uh, thank you for um, this church. I thank you for this congregation, these brothers and sisters that I have a privilege of shepherding and sharing your word. You have been very good to us. You've been very, very good to us. And your goodness is evident by the life that is flowing within us. And we just recognize that that's what you have done for us. And we, we, we are just humbled and awe by your love for us. Father, we are underneath your word again. We pray, Lord, that as you have been good to us through your word, may that grace that is demonstrated in your word be, have continued today. As we, always, we, as we have said in the past month, may you crack our hearts even more. May the word of God and may the spirit of God come in through, these, through this time so that we will have a clearer picture of our lives and who you are and what we are called to be. All these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are uh, continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount. In particular, we are studying, we are continuing our studies on the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is something that all of us are familiar with, hopefully all of us are familiar with. But we never really actually, maybe it's been a while, but we never actually kind of stop to think what they actually mean, right? I think for a lot of us, we can memorize this by heart. I hope you can. Certainly my 11-year-old daughter can. Um, but we never kind of stop to think, what does this really mean? And that's what we're studying. Uh, that's what we started to study last week, this week, and we're going to continue, and we're going to conclude next week. What the Lord's Prayer really means. But before we study about the Lord's Prayer specifically, once again, we, are going, we go back to God's call for our lives and prayer, living a life of prayer, is the calling of every Christian. There are places in the Bible, just, uh, the, the call to prayer is everywhere in the Bible. First, First Thessalonians, Thessalonians chapter 5.17 Paul says, it is God's will that you pray unceasingly. How do, you discern, how do you discern what God's will for you? God's will for you is that you pray unceasingly, privately, publicly, corporately, pray unceasingly. Paul once again says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in all things, through prayer and petition, Submit your requests to God. Paul is calling all the brothers and sisters to pray to God for everything. Pray unceasingly. Pray for all things. Right? Um, Paul, once again, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, he says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without quarreling. Once again, Paul is taught, taught, teaching Timothy the will of God for the church is for all men, including women, to lift up their hands in prayer. The importance of prayer, the whole book of Psalms, is that's basically a big prayer book. How many chapters are in Psalms? 120-something? The whole 120-some-odd chapters of Psalms, that whole psalm is about prayer. Jesus lived the life of prayer. He lived a life that is devoted to prayer. Jesus calls God's temple the house of prayer. 
I know you are, you are thinking, oh, it's so hard for me to pray. Oh, I don't have time to pray. Oh, maybe God will understand if I don't pray. But brothers and sisters, the entire book of the Bible, the life of our Lord is clear. We are called to pray. In fact, quote me on this if you would. I think the lack of prayer more than anything else shows your true relationship with God. What you pray for, whether you pray, what you pray for, clearly shows your, your place with God. Why does God want us to pray? Why is prayer so important? We covered that this last week. Last week we covered prayer. It's not just some religious exercise that we are called to do, but prayer is, is this miracle where we are communing, fellowshipping with the Trinity itself. In prayer, we pray, God to, we pray to God the Father through the Son, through the power of the Holy Spirit. We commune with the Godhead. Before there was anything in existence, there was God. There was a triune God. And in prayer, we get to directly fellowship with this triune God. That is a miracle. In prayer, we experience the miracle of fellowship. But not only is prayer a medium of fellowship with God, it is the instrument of great power. One of the main reasons why God wants us to pray is that it is an instrument of great power. God moves when we pray. Did you know that? God could do whatever he wants. He is the sovereign, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, sovereign God. He can do all things, but he has designed creation to be where he will move when his people pray. Prayer is an instrument of great power. Matthew chapter 7, verse, chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus says, Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. And, you will be, and knock, and, and it will be opened to you. Jesus is saying, when you ask him, when you knock, when you seek, something will happen. Once again, Matthew chapter 21, 22, and Jesus says, whatever ask in prayer, you will receive it if you have faith. If you have living faith in Jesus Christ, if you lean on who he is more than anything else, Jesus says, pray and I will give to you. Jesus is not saying prayer to an empty room, pray to an empty space, and, 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 and just expect nothing to happen. No, no, no. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, Pray, something will happen. Your prayers will be answered. My favorite verse, James chapter 5, verse 16, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. If you are righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ, if you are in the righteous position because of the work of Christ, James says, pray. Your prayer will be powerful and effective. The word power here means something that affects change. When the Bible talks about power, it talks about something that changes something. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Do you know that? Have you experienced that? Have you experienced the power of prayer in your life? I don't know why 
God lets me have this job. I really don't. Not this job, right? I don't know why he embarrassed God. I don't know. No, I know God wants me to have You are my gift, right? You are God's gift to me. I know that. That's true, right? Every morning I go, when I go to drive to D.C., I go, why in the world would you give me this job? And I do not know why he does. But what I do know is that one of the reasons why he gave me this job it is that I see him answer my prayers in this job over and over and over again. I've never had a job in which I see God's visible demonstration of answered prayer. It's crazy. People yell at me all the time. And there are many times that I was in the verge of being in trouble. But all those times, I can honestly say, God delivered me from those troubles. And I do not know why he does that. But one of the reasons why he lets me be in that place in D.C. is so that I can witness his answered prayers. Y'all, God answers prayers. Something happens when his people pray. You need to believe in that. Perhaps the reason why we don't pray is we don't believe in that. Maybe perhaps one of the reasons why we don't pray is because we don't think anything will happen when we pray. We think, what is this exercise? Why am I doing this? Nothing's going to happen. We pray without faith. And perhaps that is why your prayers are not answered. And why perhaps that is why your prayers are so difficult or non-existent because you do not believe God will do things through your prayers. Do you know in Matthew chapter 6, I think verse 6 is it? Jesus says, if you go to the closet and pray, God who listens to you in secret will reward you for prayer. What does that mean? It means, do you know what? When you pray, God will do things through your prayers. And when God does things through your prayers, God's going to reward you in heaven. God's not going to reward only those people who go to the mission fields or, do, who, who, or who, do, who sacrifices great things in his name. No, the Bible is clear. Those who pray for, those who lift up prayers for his will, and those whom God uses their prayers to do his will on earth, those people will get a great reward in heaven. The things that we pray for, how we pray, is a source, it's a, it's a basis in which that our rewards in heaven will be, will be stored. Your prayers are important, so important that God will reward you for your prayers. The opposite, I think, one of the great things that we will be repentant of when we go before the Lord is our lack of prayer. I think many people will say before the Lord, I, I should have prayed more. Maybe I think that, is, that will be the confession of all of us. We should have prayed more because we could have done greater things when we have prayed. So one of the reasons why we don't pray, I think it's because we don't think God will do anything. Maybe, and, 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 and one of the main reasons, I think, why we don't pray, and one of the main reasons, reason I think, that our prayers are ineffective, one of the main reasons why, despite our prayer, that God doesn't answer our prayers is this. One of the main reasons why God doesn't answer our prayers is, is because what we want is very different from what God wants. The Lord's Prayer teaches us what, what God wants and what a Christian should want more than anything else. When our interests 
when our wants are aligned with what God wants, it is then that God answers prayers. God doesn't answer prayers when, his, when our will is very different from his will. God honors prayers when our will, what we want out of life, is exactly the same as what he wants. When our wishes and desires and wants are in line with his wants, it is then God answers prayers. And I'm not just talking about the contents of your prayers. When I say this, some of you will think, okay, then what are the, some of the things that I need to say to, so that God will know that I'm in line with his will? Sometimes you think about content. When I say we got our prayers have to be in line with God's will, we think about things that we need to say to God in order for God to answer our prayers. That's not what I mean. What I mean is what you really want. To quote the Spice Girls, what you really want, what you really, 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 really want in your heart has to be the same as what God wants, what God really, 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 really wants. If what you really, really, really want it's different from what God really wants. I don't think you, answer, you, you experience answered prayers much. George Mueller, guy who, who, got, who had 10,000 prayers answered. The guy who started an orphanage, not because he cared about orphans per se, but because he wanted to show the world that God cares about the orphans through prayer. I, I know, it's very scandalous, but that's what he did. He had 10,000 prayers answered. And he wrote a book of how, how, to, how God answers prayers. The secret of his God answering his prayers. Number one thing he says is, he says, when I pray, when there's a need that I have, when there are food that the orphans need, before going to God in prayer, I, I open up the Bible and I search, to search the scriptures for his will. I, I, sometimes he spends hours before he prays. Sometimes he searches, he searches the Bible for hours to, figure, to, to think about what the God, will of God is according to scriptures and what the promises of God that God says in scriptures. He tries to find God's promises that are related to his situation in scriptures. And when he finds it, he takes that portion of the promise in scriptures out and he prays based upon what he read. So before he prays for anything, he searches the will of God, and he makes his prayer based on the will of God, based on the truth of God. He says, I know we have needs, I know we have desires, I know we have fears, but before approaching God, before anything, he goes to the scriptures to search out the will of God, and he prayers his prayer based on the will of God. His prayers are answered because what he wants is in alignment with what God wants. His prayers are so in line with what God wants that even when he was praying for his, for his wife who is, who is sick, he based his prayers on, on scripture. He was married two times. His first wife died, right? I think two of his children died before him. He lived until 90-something. And he lost two wives. He lost, I think, two or three kids. When his second wife, whom he loved, he says when he saw her, she gave him great joy. You ever feel that way, guys? When you look at your wife, you oh, such joy. Yeah? Yeah? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Other, shame on you, right? You look at your wife, 
It's not like, oh, here she is. No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> right? That's not me. I, my, my heart skips a beat when I look at my wife. It really, it really does. Right? When he looked at his wife, oh, he loved her so. Gave her such, him such joy. But she became sick, and she was on his deathbed. What did he pray for? He searched the scriptures, and he found a promise where it says, God prom like we sang today, for you make all things work together for my good, right? He, he searched that verse, and he says, according to this verse, God will give me all things that are good. He will give me all things that are good. If it is good for me that my wife lives, so be it. But if it's good for me, then my wife be released from her pain and to go to heaven. So be it. His wife passed away, but he praised God for his goodness. That's a man whose interests is in line with who God is. Is your interest aligned with who God is? Is what you want same as what he wants? That's the question. What does a Christian want? Next week's sermon is about what a Christian needs, right? This week's sermon is about what a Christian wants. And that's what Jesus reveals in the Lord's Prayer. What does a Christian want? We talked about this last week. The first thing that Christian wants is we want God's name to be hallowed. For a Christian, for those who know God, we know that the most important thing in life is for God's name to be hallowed. What does it mean to be hallowed? For God's name to be revealed and for God's name to be glorified. God's name is his identity. When his identity is revealed, when his identity is glorified, when his, when his identity is praised and honored, what happens to a human heart? The human heart starts to live. Look, um, I, don't, I haven't seen this movie, but, you know, because yeah, I don't like fantasy so much, right? The, the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Have you seen it? Yeah, I know some of you have seen it, right? And I haven't seen it because I tried, but I fell asleep. So I, what I usually do, I just see the beginning part of the movie and I go to the end part of the movie. That's what I really do, right? That's what I do with all Netflix movies. See the first episode and the last 10 minutes of the last episode, and I think it's a really good show. That's, I still do that, and I do that with the movies that I watch, right? That I don't want to watch. So Chronicles of Narnia, I watched the first 10 minutes, I go, uh, I'm going to fall asleep. Because there was this like goat dude running around. I don't know what that goat dude was, you know what I mean? And so I don't want goat dude. So I turned to the end of the movie. And Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe is C.S. Lewis's fable based on the gospel, right? And Aslan, the Jesus figure, right? He dies, right? Spoiler alert, he dies. And he's resurrected three days later. And what happened at the end of the movie is, when Aslan is resurrected, the whole land, which was covered in coldness, ice. Ice represents, coldness represents like death and you know, isolation, depression. When Aslan resurrects, the entire land, 
that was once covered in ice and snow becomes full of blooming flowers and green. The land that was just gray all the time, when Aslan resurrects, it becomes colorful, vivacious, and living. And that is an example of what happens when God's name is revealed. When God's identity is revealed in your heart, when God's identity, when God's name is revealed in your mind, when you start to praise God for who He is, what happens to you? Your heart finds spring. Your heart finds life. It does. I can't explain. It does. There's nothing like it in the world that will rejuvenate your dead, depressed, cold hearts into life again. But when, when Jesus Christ is revealed, when the name of Christ is revealed, your dead heart lives again. Don't we have that song? Now my dead heart is beating or something like that. Don't we have that song? It's true. When the name of God is hallowed in your heart in this world, this world and your heart lives again. There is nothing like it in the world that will make your heart live again. There's nothing like it in the world that can compare to your heart living again than God's name to be hallowed. Not works, not careers, not achievement, certainly not romantic love can rejuvenate your heart to life but for when God reveals himself to you. It is certainly true. Single people. We have very successful married people in our group. Did you know that? Sometimes I, 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 and I visit their homes and I, I go, whoa, good gosh, good house. And they have good careers, they do. And they have lovely families, right? But single people ask these married people with good jobs and good houses if they are not depressed, if there's no darkness in their lives. They'll say, what are you talking about? Certainly there's darkness. And these guys have achieved it all. Super cute kids. Super nice house in the suburbs, impressive careers, and if you ask them, is your do you want for nothing? They'll say, what are you talking about? What, what destroys darkness out of your heart and mind is for, for the name of God to be hallowed. The second thing the Christian wants is for God's kingdom to come and for his will to be done. What a Christian wants more than anything else is for his kingdom to come, not your kingdom, for his will to be done, not your will. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what a Christian wants more than anything else. Do you know why you're so anxious all the time? Can I tell you? It is because you're worried about your kingdom and your will. You're so focused on your kingdom, your will, that there is no room for God's kingdom and God's will. That is why you worry. Christian wants God's kingdom to come and his will be done. What does it mean for God's kingdom to come? What does it mean for God's will to be done? What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the kingdom where God rules and reigns, where God is sovereign. That's what a kingdom of God is, right? Kingdom of God is where God rules as king. God, because God is sovereign, God is omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, God rules everything, right? 
The kingdom of God is where God rules, and God is the one who is sovereign. He rules all. He creates all things. He sustains all things. God rules all things. From the tiniest, smallest molecule of the, that, that is basis of existence to the expanding universe that expands 51 miles per second. Did you know that? Do you know the universe expands 51, 51 miles per second? I researched this, right? From the very tiniest microscopic building blocks of existence to the expanding galaxy, to the expanding universe, everything in between, God rules all. Abraham Kuyper says, there is nothing in the universe where Jesus cannot say, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. Jesus lays claim to everything. Everything belongs to him. Everything is ruled by him. Do you know this? Kingdom, men's kingdom rise and fall. Roman Empire rolls and fall. The Ming Dynasty rolls. Is there a Ming Dynasty? I think there is. The Ming Dynasty rolls and fall. Korean Chosun Dynasty rolls and fall. The British Empire rise and fall. America will rise and fall. China, the next great superpower, will rise and fall. And all these kingdoms of men rising and falling are still within the reign of God. Even though these kingdoms fall, God's kingdom reigns forever. Every nook and cranny to the mic, to the macroscopic, gigantic issues of the universe, it's all ruled by God. It's all controlled by God. Every cell that is replicating within your body to every problem that you're facing is ruled by God. Do you know this? John Piper, when he got cancer, you wrote a book, Don't Waste Your Cancer. It's such a Piper thing to do, right? Such a Piper thing to do. And he says in that book, if you think cancer is not designed by God to give to me, then you're wrong. God ruled over my cancer. God allowed me to have cancer. God will live, let me live or die based on my cancer. Everything within the rule of God. Do you know this? Even your problems now that seem so insurmountable, so difficult, so worrisome, do you know that they are all under the reign of God? The careers that you do not want, the difficult people that you're surrounded with, the things that you do not have, the things that you have that are causing your problems, everything that you have is under the reign of God. Do you know this? There's nothing that escapes him. He is king over all. God's will is supreme above all. God does as he pleases, the psalmist says. Everything in the universe, everything in your life unfolds based upon his strategic planning, based upon his, his, his great insights, and based upon his moving hand, everything in life is based on his will. Even the seemingly bad things are all part of his will. When Joseph's brother sold him to slavery, those punks, when those punks left him for dead, 
when he was sold into slavery, Joseph was, when he was in Potiphar's house and, he, and when he was accused of rape and he went to prison, all of it, his brothers were at fault. But when he finally met his brothers, what did, what did Joseph say? When you try to kill me and they sold me to slavery, you meant it for evil. But God used your evil to, for something good. The great promise of scripture is even the seemingly horrendous things in life, God still uses to unfold his great will. God's kingdom prevails forever. His will prevails forever. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Or do you think that he's, there's no possible way that he cares about what you care about? You're wrong if you do. And the question is, if God controls all things, if everything is his kingdom, if everything unfolds based on his will, then why in the world do we pray his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Why does Jesus teach us to pray like that? It is because of this. God controls all things. God rules over one thing. Well, God's kingdom reigns forever. But there is one place in the universe. In all of existence, there's one place where a heart does not think that, it, that he reigns. In all the universe, there is this one place where, where people think that God doesn't reign, and that place is in your heart and mind. All the things in the universe recognizes God as king, and they move in accordance to his will and plan. But for the human heart, human heart is a heart that says, nope. God's not king, I'm king. Nope, he doesn't reign, I reign. Nope, his plan is not important, my plan is important. That is the one place in all of existence where we do not recognize his sovereignty and his will is in your heart and mind. Paul Washer's quote, right? God says, let, the, let, the, let, let there be light, and there was light. Let there be stars, and there are stars. Paul, God says, let this constellation move there, and the constellations move. God tells the human heart, worship me. And the, and the human heart says, no. The human heart is the only heart that says, my kingdom is important. My will is important. When Jesus says, pray, your kingdom come." Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The earth that he talks about is your heart and mine. It is because we do not recognize our, his kingdom. We don't, just because we don't recognize the fact that he is king, it doesn't make him not king. Do you know that? Just because you're obsessed with your own little kingdom, it doesn't mean that his kingdom doesn't reign. It doesn't mean that. It's a perception problem. We're the only ones with a stupid perception of thinking that our kingdom is more important, that our will is more important than God's kingdom and God's will. Romans chapter 1, what is the basis of all sin? God made it plain to every human being that he exists. But men and women 
did not recognize him or give thanks to him. That's the basis of sin. God made it clear that this is all his world. The human heart that says, no, I don't recognize that. It's like Texas. I want to succeed from the Union. We're part of the United States. Anyone from Texas, by the way? No offense, right? Texas always wants to move away from America. You want to succeed from God, who is the fabric of existence. And because you do, all sorts of evil and chaos come. God's will is clear. But you don't want God's will. You want your will. God says, for example, for example I wish Joshua was here. Joshua's not here, but he will be proud of me when I say this. God, God says, take care of the environment. This world is a gift. You are a steward of this world. Take care of it. Oh. It's so hard throwing plastic bottle in the, in the recycle bin. It's so hard. Oh, oh, this plastic, it's so convenient. Oh, this, this you know, paper straw, ugh, I don't like it. I like the plastic, plastic straws. Oh, it's so hard. God says, honor the human being cherish and honor and respect the human being. Oh, it's so hard. That's because it's a jerk. Oh. Oh. It's so, that person just, it's so easy to make fun of that person. Oh. That person is mean, so I'm going to talk bad about that person. Oh. God says, have beautiful sex with your spouse. Have God reflecting, God revealing sex with your spouse. We say, no, but I have needs, God. Biology calls. Because our will always supersedes his will, there is destruction and chaos and evil in our lives and in the entire world. Because the human heart is the only place where God doesn't reign supreme. Because the human heart is the only place where we, we go against the will of God. This creation is contrary to God's design. When Jesus says, pray that your kingdom will, God's kingdom will come, he's saying, pray that men and women will become children of God, where they will start to see that this is God's kingdom and that God's will is supreme. That's what he's praying for. And if you are a Christian, this is what you really want. Because you know that the only thing that will save a person is for for that person to recognize the sovereignty of God and the greatness of his will. You pray that prayer for the unbelievers. Right? Praying for God's kingdom to come, his will be done, means there's three practical things. Number one, like I just said, is praying that God's kingdom will be revealed in the hearts hearts and minds of men. You know, I went to 
to Oakton small group. Oh, it was such a lovely small group. It was, it was such lovely, right? And so we talked about various things. And we talked, one of the questions that Daniel asked was, you know, God teaches us to call, when we pray, God teaches us to pray our Father. We're supposed to address God as Father. We're supposed to approach God as Father, right? But we, like we were talking, and none of us really call God our God Father when we pray. Daniel says, God. I say, Lord, right? But none of us really say, Father, when we pray. And we did a little psycho-spiritual analysis. Why is that? And I think the conclusion that we came up with, we, we, we feel uncomfortable called calling our Father, is because I think there's a part of our hearts that still doesn't believe that we're worthy to be called, we're worthy to call God our Father. There's something in us that we know that makes us so unworthy to call God our Father. We're comfortable calling Him our Master, we're calling Him, calling him God or Lord, but not Father, because we, there's some of us, certainly part of us, that still doesn't think that it, it's right for, for, God to, for us to call God Father. But we're wrong. Because the reason why Jesus came and died for people who once, like the unbelievers, thought our will reigned supreme, that our kingdom reigned supreme, we were all like that. But so, to such people, God came. And through his word and through his spirit, we became born-again children of God. For people who were once rebels like us, he made us his children so that we can call God our Father. John in 1 John chapter 3 never got over that. John in 1 John chapter 3 says, See what marvelous love that God has for us, that we shall be called children of God. John never got over this amazing grace that allowed a guy like him to be able to call God our God Father. Yesterday we had family worship, and we're talking about this. I asked my daughter, "So why why do we call why can we call God our Father?" And my daughter says, "It's because He created us." And I said, "Wrong." <laughs> right? In a nicer way. We can call God our Father because in spite of it all, that Christ, because of his blood and sacrifice and death, paid, us, paid the cost so that we can be adopted children of God. John never got over that. Paul never got over that. You know this guy named Beckett Cook, the one Hollywood set designer gay guy who turned Christian 10 years ago? He never gets over that. When you say, let your, will be, let your kingdom come, let your will be done, he's saying, pray so that the unbelievers who are enemies of God right now can be adopted into the family of God. That's what he's saying. The second thing that he said, that, 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 that we pray when we say, let, let God's kingdom come and his will be done, the second thing it means is, let the people like us who are already children of God pray that we will become more and more obedient children of God. For those of us who are already children of God, we need to pray that we will be more obedient to our King. Because even though we're children, we're rebellious children still. 
Every day, we want to kind of go our own way, right? What I realized this past week, what I realized about myself was, when I'm really busy, when I'm super busy, and when I'm like away from God sometimes, what invariably happens when I'm away from God is, the old sins that I thought that overcame, like my flesh remembers that taste. You know, like an ex-smoker who got over smoking, right? Who got over smoking, hasn't smoked in like 10 years, but like in, when he goes to a certain environment, like, like a Kaibi house or something, right? And when he, when he sees like Korean guys drinking soju and stuff, the old desires come back. I think that's what happens to me sometimes. When I'm far away from God, sometimes, not too far, but when I'm far away from God, like this old sin that I thought that overcame, that desire suddenly kind of comes back. And I want to be rebellious. God says, when you pray God's kingdom come, he's saying, pray that the people of God will become more obedient children of God. So when you say, let your kingdom come, you're praying that your brothers and sisters in Christ will be more obedient children to the king. And the third thing that let your kingdom come will be done means is, not only do you pray for the unbelievers for their adoption, not only pray for the obedience of the Christians, but third thing that you pray for is you pray that the true kingdom of God will come, that God will hasten his coming. The kingdom of God is a real place. It is a place where we can see. John says in 1 John, when, we, when Jesus appears, we will see him as he is. Which means the kingdom of God is not some nefarious place, some pie-in-the-sky place somewhere, but it is an actual kingdom that we can see with our eyes. And Jesus, when he comes back, will usher in the kingdom of God. And the believer's hope is not tied to the kingdoms of this world. It's not tied to your version of the kingdom of the world. The believer's hope is, is tied, is always tied to the coming reality of the kingdom of God. For those of you who are just so worried about your life here, you need an expanded vision of your life. Your life here is only 70 years. I know half of you, half, the average age here is about 35. You're halfway there. Do not be so obsessed with what will happen to you in the next 35 years. Expand your vision to the kingdom that is coming. When Christ will come, where Christ will rule, where Christ will bring peace and love and justice in this world. That is the world that we live for. Do you know? I was having a conversation with my legal writers. I have a staff of legal writers. Super smart people. They went to Yale, GW. They're really smart, Right? And I was asked, I was asked, and they were like really politically, you know, conscious, because all millennials are, right? And I said, hey, you politically conscious millennials, I said. Why do you hope in a world that will never come? She said, what do you mean? I said, you hope for a world where justice will reign, where, pores will be, where the poor will be taken care of, where evil, will be, evil men will be punished, where eternal love will be found. And I said, that world will never come, right? He said, yeah. Then why do you hope for it, I asked. I don't know, because if I don't hope for it, I'll, I'll just kill myself. And I said, maybe you hope for it 
because you are secretly hoping for the kingdom of God to come. Maybe that hunger is a sign that you're made for another world. That's pretty good evangelism. That's true. Our hope is in the coming kingdom of God where Jesus Christ reigns. There is where life lies. There is where security and peace lies. It is there where joy lies. Joy does not lie in a condo in Florida when you turn 65. It lies in the coming kingdom of God. And when you say, let your kingdom come, you are saying, I am hoping in that kingdom. Look, someone asked me why I work so hard in my firm. They asked me, is it because you want to make, you're destined to make partner, they say. And I told them, I don't care a lick whether I make partner. I work because I just want to serve people that God given me. My hope is not in some stinking partnership. Right? I hope my managing partner doesn't listen to the sermon. My hope is not in this partnership called a law firm. Forget that. It's in the coming kingdom of God. Where is your hope lie? A condo in Florida? Hawaii? Aloha? Where? It doesn't matter the size of the house that you own. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter the size of your bank. It, does, it doesn't matter. What matters is the kingdom of God. Last story before we end. 19, I got this example from Alistair Begg. 1997, is it? In a church in South Africa called St. John's. A gunman opened fire in that church right, in, in South Africa. 11 people were killed. I think 30-some-odd people were injured. What is surprising about this event is the way that the church responded. After the shooting, the church released a statement. He says, we at St. John's harbor no vengeance, harbor no grudges against the gunmen. We leave this issue in the hands of the God Almighty who will one day judge everyone for their actions in this world. Our hope is in the justice in the coming kingdom of God. That church, the hope was real. Is your hope in the coming kingdom of God real? When you pray, let your kingdom come, you're saying, Jesus, come. Jesus, my hope is in your kingdom and not in the things of this life. That's what it means to say, let your will be done that your kingdom come. For unbelievers to be adopted into the children of God. For believers to become more obedient children of the king. And, and, and pray that the Lord's kingdom will come quickly. Is that what you want? What you really, 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 really want? Let's pray.